Stanford University. Next is uh, Olivier, who is going to talk also about uh, innovation in China versus the West. Great. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, uh, Duncan and Spree. It's, uh, it's an honor and pleasure to be here talking about uh, China 2.0 companies. The fact that we have a relationship with Disney basically dictates also the sector of investments. Uh, and it's really much what's being discussed through these two days. So it's uh, intersection of media and technology. So internet, obviously, online games, online entertainment, video distribution. We also look at e-commerce, retail, travel, education, and so on. Uh, what you see here is a distribution of venture capital investments by different sectors across the US, China, and Europe. Uh, the data differs a little bit from uh, the one that uh, York presented. Mainly it's a different source, but the trend is the same. If you look at where uh, the majority of the financing goes in the US and Europe, about 70%, it goes to typical high growth, high technology sectors, IT, healthcare, and energy. If you look at where the majority of the, the, the capital goes in China, it goes into traditional industries, consumer and retail. If you look at the same data, at 60, and, and York showed that, you saw that the same, same data about six or seven years ago, I think 65% was actually going to IT and technology in China. So there's been a, a dramatic shift. And part of the reason for this is if you're a venture capital investor, why do you want to take a high technology risk, product development risk, when you can be investing in fast food chain, uh, you can be investing in hotel chain or fixed slaughterhouses, which will give you the same 30 to 40% annual growth rate uh, without taking any technology risk. So that has been <coughs> recently the driver for um, investors shifting away from traditional high-tech. Uh, I came about seven years ago to China. Initially, I came uh, with Qualcomm, which is a typical, very high-tech company with a strong, uh, typical engineering background. And I was looking for investing in innovation. I was looking for investing in high-tech. And I have to say that initially, I was a little bit disappointed in terms of finding the typical Silicon Valley high-technology company you can find. Uh, the typical companies invested here have very high barriers to entry from technology. They have patents. They have a business model that are creating uh, very quickly networks of scales, but they really build on technology and innovation in technology. This actually is quite rare to find in China. But however, the, the conclusion might be there's no innovation in China. And I think the point was made yesterday. I would actually strongly disagree with this. I think there's a lot of innovation in China. It's just not happening in the technology side. It's happening a lot more on the business model, business operation. We've talked about the, the adaptation or the first wave of internet companies coming into China, taking a model and copying to China. Uh, it, it, I would say the easy conclusion would be, well, that's an easy thing to do. If you look at, and, and we heard from C-Trip yesterday, if you look at <coughs> what made the company successful in China that did that, the other one who very quickly innovated on the business model to adapt to China. Uh, there was a lot of companies doing travel in China, coming into China. C-Trip was successful above and beyond the others because quickly they understood that you had to serve the, the consumer 
in China very differently. You had to create a um, <coughs> distribution channel that were very different. They did very clever marketing by using cars that they're distributing into airports. They had call centers very quickly because most users were calling. So the, the first wave of innovation were companies who adapted but really changed the business model to apply it to China. The one that didn't do that actually failed. Um, so a few words about what are the realities of the Chinese market. Obviously, we've talked about it, but what makes a difference? Geographical fragmentation. Every single province is very different. If you want to scale a business to China, you need to adapt to the local province. If you're in the, the telecom business, you have regional provincial operators with whom you need to have to do different deals. So it's a lot of work to scale geographically. The market segment is very different. You might be addressing migrant workers all the way to urban dwellers, to real estate, super wealthy people. These different uh, customers have very different needs and very different tastes. Uh, so you have to serve them differently. Government is an issue, very often regulation, and it's very often the lack of regulation. How do you navigate between the, the gray zone? Uh, and the Chinese consumer is typically quite fickle. So initially, there's low brand loyalty. It's actually changing with the advent of services. And also, the challenge is you have a lot of free alternative. Uh, so we, we know there's fake, obviously, if you're in the content uh, sector, there's fake DVDs uh, and free con pirated content. If you're in music, you have great business model like Gary's providing free music. So you need to compete with these alternatives. Uh, so what I'd like to do is talk a little bit about the market dynamics and really look at it from a venture capital perspective, more a startup perspective, and from a venture capital who finance these startups. So I think there's two salient factors uh, in terms of the market. First, it's extremely fast-paced, which means that things moved amazingly fast. Very startups, many startups on six days or seven days a week development time schedule. Obviously, the growth of the market makes it extremely dynamic and fast. And the second one is you have much lower capital requirements. Um, so a startup can very quickly scale and become profitable much faster. And actually, very often, the entrepreneurs themselves have really a drive to very quickly get to profitability. They're much more anxious about running um, a, a company that's unprofitable. The investment time can be quite short, and, and the cost of starting a new venture is actually much lower. So you can think this is a great thing, actually. It means that it's very easy to start a company, and, and you can quickly reach scale. Actually, there's an issue with that, and that explains partially why you do not see long-term R&D type of innovation. Because the opportunity cost to invest, both for investors, but even inside company, the opportunity cost to invest into long-term project is just too high. So very often, game-changing type of uh, technology that can take years to be invested and mature are just not being funded, because you have a lot of other lower cost, faster return alternative. So, so that's typically a challenge in terms of finding companies which really have core innovation, core technology innovation. Um, there's a second drawback with this, is as soon as your company is successful, what happens is you, because of the low cost of starting a company, because of the, the easy, the pace of the market, you very quickly get a lot of copycats that get funded. Um, and every single model, that's, and some of them that have been adapted uh, to China, whether it's Twitter, uh, Groupon, or others, very quickly that you see hundreds of competitors. So, so that's why it's even more important to very quickly innovate in terms of uh, changing your business model, and adapting to China. This also has some strong implication in terms of M&A exits. Because if you think about M&A from the purchaser's standpoint, this is also an investment decision. 
Um, and this has some strong implication for venture capital investors. You do not see in China the typical 2.0 type of exits, YouTube being bought for 1.5 billion, AdMob uh, for 700 million. These companies are actually platforms. They're not, they, the, the companies Google doesn't acquire here revenue. They acquire platform and technology and they acquire the potential in two to three years to dominate a market. These type of exits actually do not happen in China. If you look historically, they have not happened. The three dominant companies we talked about through this conference, Baidu, Tencent, and Alibaba, have been actually very, very shy in terms of acquisition. And if they do acquire, Chinese companies typically look for PE. They really want to focus short term, how can this be accretive to my earnings? So if you're a venture capital investor, that has an important implication. I would say it's potentially quite dangerous to fund uh, the Twitter type of models or the, the platform model where you're going to quickly try to build a huge audience and try to monetize it. Uh, because these companies eventually will have to be taken public and you might very unlikely find a buyer for these companies, especially not a buyer paying a very large premium that you typically see in Silicon Valley for the platform and the technology. Foreign companies do buy uh, into China, but very often they will buy their market entry and they won't necessarily buy a huge premium for this platform either. So this definitely has implication in terms of uh, where to invest the capital. So, so some of that implication also is the fact that, like I was mentioning, it, it is to a certain extent dangerous to take some of these Twitter or China 2.0 model and adapt them directly to China. Um, and, the, and the reason for this is you, you really better make sure that you can eventually get a profit uh, as opposed to hoping that someone will acquire you for a big premium. The venture capital return tends to be smaller than, uh, and, and shorter, but it's actually much harder to wait a long time to get the really, really big payout, like you, you can see, again, the, the Googles and other, which can take up to 10 years to mature. Th these type of investments rarely happen. And if you look at, we've talked about the, the RMB, coming RMB funds, many of these RMB funds, domestic funds, are actually looking at getting a return in potentially six to 12 months, even through dividends. So let me, let me jump through some examples of these innovation. We've talked a lot about online games, so I'll, I'll probably skip to that, uh, through that quickly. But online game itself, the way it was started was an innovation adaptation, in the sense that typically consoles were pirated. So by connecting to a server, you force the user to pay, and that's a way to collect uh, the money. We were investor in an online game company, mobile game company, uh, what they did is they realized that the traditional model is to download content to uh, cell phones, uh, to download games and charge by the operator. They made it available for free and then they used prepaid cards, the same prepaid cards you use to top up your phone to charge the user, completely going around the operator. And this gave them an actual advantage because they could charge the user via the typical distribution channel. It also gave them a distribution channel. I'll take a, another example from mobile which is a great uh, example of adaptation from a business model. It's a company called MediaTek. I don't know how much of you have heard of the company. Um, this company started from being a small DVD uh, manufacturer, DVD chip manufacturer in Taiwan to become one of the largest mobile chip company. And they all this, did this based on business model innovation, absolutely not technology innovation. What they did is they did a good enough GSM chip, made the whole solution available to handset manufacturers and basically created a whole brand new set of customers, which were small 
so-called Shanghai <coughs> which is sort of pirated small uh, handset integrator, who then, now you could, initially you would take, it takes six months in a huge team to develop a new handset. Through this business model innovation, it only takes maybe one month or a few weeks and 10 people to come up with a handset. So you see this huge proliferation of new handsets with actually a lot of product innovation. So here are two picture example. Uh, this is not a cigarette pack, it's a phone where you can actually put some cigarettes inside. But this is typically a way to address a very small niche. And that's also part of the innovation is suddenly you create this segmentation where you can have product innovation to really address a very small niche. But niche in China can be very large. And the second phone is for, and again, it's not a Ferrari, it's actually a phone, a working phone for the Ferrari lovers who cannot afford the actual car. So there's, again, a lot of innovation happening in this. Another aspect, everybody is excited about iPhone and Android. There's actually startups now that are addressing how to get on these 300. MediaTek shipped last year 300 million handsets. One out of every three handsets shipped in the world had this uh, one of their chip inside. Again, all this on the back of very inventive new business model, how to distribute, how to do products. <coughs> so finally, as a conclusion, I would say there is a lot of innovation. It would be a mistake to think there's no innovation in China. It's just not happening where you think. It's happening in a very, at a much deeper level, operation, distribution, management, and this potentially can be more, more profound. And you're seeing some of that coming back to China. Again, virtual goods, microtransaction was an example of innovation that came out of China that's coming now to Silicon Valley. The phones that I was talking about, MediaTek, are actually giving Nokia and Motorola a run for their money and are exporting now in emerging markets and probably soon to the US. So uh, again, investing in China is still a very exciting place. Um, if you're looking for technology investments, be patient. But there's actually a lot of great competitive barriers to entry and great business model innovation that can be funded. Thank you. Please visit us at stanford.edu.